0: to me, myself, and Millie. I'm your host, Millie Brooks. This is a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we will be chatting with Perjat Deshpande, who is a trauma expert that specializes in high-risk pregnancy and late-term loss. You may remember, Parajat, from episode 47 when we talked about grief associated with infertility and loss. She's back on the show to discuss trauma and health complications today. Welcome, Barajat. Thank you so much, Millie. It's so lovely to be here again. Oh, I mean, you were a crowd favorite from season three, so it's great to have you back. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Um, So, Uh, Before I launch into my questions here, I'm going to go a little off script for a second. You had a great post on Instagram yesterday, um, and I'm going to go read the quote here. You said, it's only possible to feel safe during pregnancy when you know what safety feels like in your body. I Like, my voice shivered when I said that. Like, it just sent chills down my spine. What was the inspiration for that post?
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Life. Everybody (laughs) in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, You know, we're in a weird, weird time right now. And I think in some ways, I'm finding people who I typically work with who, you know, experienced birth trauma, fertility trauma, anything like that, finally feel understood because we're all experiencing this collective trauma right now. And it all kind of makes sense. And one of the themes that I keep seeing coming up over and over, both professionally with clients or new clients, and then also my personal life is this idea of how do I feel safe? Mm. How do I know when I'm going to feel safe? Like what what is safe even? Like, how do I, how do I do that? Right. I get that question. How do I do that? And I go, you don't. Safety is not something you do. It's something safe is how you are. It is, you know, it's not an action. It is a way of being. And I think it inspires, you know, a lot of conversation then again, both professionally and personally of, well, you know, what does that mean? And, Mm. and how, like, how do we get there again? And I think it is, the crux of what trauma healing really is. As long as you cannot feel your body, you cannot feel safe. You have to be able to feel your body, which when we're living in a traumatized body, we don't. And Mm. that's how it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to feel our bodies. We're not supposed to feel what it feels like to be hungry or to need to go to the bathroom or to feel hot or cold. Like we're not supposed to feel that. Right? We're not supposed to. We're not even supposed to feel pain. And when we live in a traumatized body, which just means a body that has not completed the stress physiology cycle and is frozen in that survival mode, we continue to not feel our bodies. And so when we're looking for that safety, it has to begin with can I feel my body at all?
0: Mm. Wow. And, you know, I'm just reflecting right now on sometimes when I don't you'll probably know the correct terminology for this. But like when you're sort of having a panic attack or something like that, I remember like you touch yourself or there's like, you know, you you lightly tap some of your head or something. What What is that called? I, I don't know.
1: There are a variety of modalities that will recommend some level of sensory input that way. Um, there's a variety of them that are out there, and they'll have different, you know, points. Some will say do it on your head. Some will have like particular meridian points or certain spots um, on your body, and not even just on your head where you can access those sensations. And and yeah, that is. I think that's certainly a part of it. It's. You, can you feel your body? And can you feel all of your body, both the external as well as the internal? And I find, you know, for our purposes, when we're talking about fertility trauma, pregnancy trauma, birth trauma, we lose sensations both externally, but especially internally. I I don't know how conversations go in your community, but with clients that I work with, almost always, there is a, I don't feel my pelvic region. I don't feel my hips. I don't feel my pelvis. I know I have one. It's right there. I can see it. I don't actually feel it. Right. That's that's part of the signs. Like, okay, this is these are the doors that we need to go through in order to, to heal that trauma. And that doesn't mean you, you know, grab your pelvic region and you go, can I feel it? Or you stab it, or you know, you do anything like that. It's exactly the opposite, in fact, is can we do this very, 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 very gently to get you to reintegrate that part of your body back into your awareness of who you are and where you are in time and space.
0: Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Um, It feels like we're living in a very wounded world right now. The world's nervous system has been rattled. So tell me why the topic of trauma and health complications feels so important to unpack today.
1: Oh my gosh. I love this question so much. I just want to acknowledge what a wonderful
0: question this is. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you like it. I'm glad. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's such
1: an important topic. It is so important that we address this right now because we have to get away from this understanding that trauma is a mental health issue. It is not a mental health issue. It is a whole health issue. There is... There are decades and decades and decades of research in various subspecialties of health that show the connection of living in a body with traumatic stress and chronic illness in those various separate uh, health subsystems, if you will, right? We know it It results in an increased risk of cardiovascular issues, respiratory issues, digestive issues. We are starting to finally admit that there is research that it'll impact our reproductive system, our, certainly our neurological system. I mean, motor systems, our ability to move, posture. I mean, every single one because the nervous system is the only system in our body that touches all other body systems. And if Oh, trauma, wow. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Right? And so if we are talking about trauma, which is a nervous system that is functioning in its emergency state in survival mode, it is going to make all other body systems function in its emergency state or survival mode, which it is not meant to do for more than a few minutes at a time. And while wow, we have this situation that we're all living in where we're going on, what is it, 18, 19 months? I don't even know anymore.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And going that is far longer than anything that our the human body is able to sustain. And that's assuming that what we're going through right now is in a vacuum where nobody was traumatized before. And this is the only thing that we've been through. You add on then the cumulative traumas prior to that. And it could be anything. It doesn't matter what it is, but it could be anything. And now we have added one more layer and one more layer and one more layer. And so where this comes into play that's important, I think, for our discussion is that we need to be very mindful of supporting our bodies in a way that helps us to get back to that sense of safety so our bodies can do the repair that they need to to heal from everything we've been through these last 18, 19 months.
0: You're a somatic trauma professional. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means?
1: Yeah. So it just means that I help people heal from their trauma from a body-based perspective. Somatic just means body-based. And trauma is the frozenness of the nervous system in survival mode. And so we do this not by talking, not by telling stories, not by going back and reliving what's happened, not by any cognitive tools, because we know that especially early on in the trauma recovery process, we cannot access those parts of our brain to actually make meaningful results. And so instead, we do body-based work to help the body restore and reset back into safety.
0: So you kind of touched upon this before in the other question. Where does specifically grief surrounding pregnancy loss and birth trauma live in the body? It can be anywhere. Not just in the pelvis?
1: No, it can be absolutely anywhere. And what I find really interesting about that is that it's it's in the parts of the body that are still holding on to the story. That's really where it lives and that's why it lives there. It's because the body is holding on to the experience. Sometimes it's a memory that we can also recall cognitively and sometimes it's not. We may not remember a moment when uh, you know, somebody injected us with something in our arm or when we did our final ultrasound or something like that. But the minute you have something cold touch your belly or you have the alcohol wipe that comes near your shoulder and all of a sudden it's like, oh, that it just comes right back to you. It can be absolutely anywhere in the body.
0: You were going to kind of go into a story about when you had um when you were in you know in the NICU situation that you were in when you um had two IVs in your arm. Um would you mind sharing about that? Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: That was just um I, I was trying to share just another example of how that grief can and can sit anywhere. So when I was on hospital bed rest before my son was born, extremely preterm, I had IVs in my arms, and I still have the scars for them even now. But for the longest time after his birth, anytime you know somebody touched my wrist or something you know rubbed up against it, like long sleeves or a sweatshirt or something like that, it would that sensation of something touching my wrist would remind me of what it felt like when he was born and knowing that my pregnancy had ended so early, for example. there's and so I, And I share that example, too, because when we talk about grief, as we talked in our previous conversation, too, it's tied to any type of loss, a death loss as well as a non-death loss. And so the grief can be tied to any number of things on that journey, too. And that was one of them for me.
0: And when something would brush up against that area, what would happen?
1: I would get this profound level of sadness. It would just be this swell of sadness that would come up, um, which was very similar to how I felt around the time that he was about to be born and soon after that, um, because I was just so sad that it was over, that everything we had done in that pregnancy was now so early it was over. And it was this full-body experience of just, you know, that difference between sadness and that visceral grief. There's just this, like, guttural Mm. feeling of loss. And that's what that felt like consistently at the very beginning.
0: So I'm going to go into a few questions from our listeners now. Um, First question is... What's the most effective therapy for addressing infertility trauma, loss trauma, pregnancy trauma, and birth trauma?
1: Anything body-based. Anything body-based. And I want to clarify, too, that therapy doesn't have to be – what is therapeutic doesn't have to be psychotherapy. It can be Many, many different kinds of resources or approaches that is trauma-informed where the person has received additional training on how to be trauma-informed from a body-based perspective. For example, trauma-informed yoga is fantastic. Um, There are certain art therapy modalities, music therapy modalities that are also trauma-informed, as well as the traditional psychotherapy that is body-based um, I definitely want to make sure that anybody who's listening really hears that we try to go into the cognitive kind of thought-based approaches very quickly uh, for any number of reasons, but we know physiologically the body is not ready for them yet. And so if, if you are finding that you're in one of those modalities and you're not experiencing relief, that's likely why. And so you want to meet the body where it's at, which is any kind of body-based support uh, first, and then all those other modalities can follow after.
0: I love that. Is there something specific to look for in a therapist or therapy um, that is, you know, primarily body-based? Like, should they look for a somatic, um, you know, credential? Uh, They can. Um, You can certainly look
1: for, I think, the Somatic Experiencing website has a list of their their practitioners who have gone through their entire training. There are people like me who have not gone through the entire training, but have a more eclectic style of somatic versus sensory and also sensory motor approaches that are combined together. And there's no real database to find people like us. And I, I, I'm not a therapist anymore, but you know, wherever I land in the world. <laughs> um, so what I would ask is essentially their familiarity with trauma physiology um, and their understanding of any type of somatic modalities as it pertains to healing from specifically infertility, pregnancy and birth and medical trauma.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Um next question from a listener. Could you offer any tips for cumulative grief? Like lots of types of grief happening at once.
1: Yeah, those are those are really really challenging experiences. I mean, th- challenging is such a an incomplete word, I think, to describe those experiences. And what I would say is two things. One is To ensure that the grief is not being tied to trauma, because at some point, especially if it's cumulative, meaning it's, I'm understanding it to mean it's just one after another, and there isn't a lot of opportunity to recover, and I don't mean mentally recover, I mean physiologically recover, the whole body kind of recovering before the next one happens, you really want to make sure that you create opportunities to recover from that. Because when grief ties to trauma, then grief healing cannot happen until trauma healing happens first. So so that's one thing. But if you can allow your body to recover in between, then what you're going to be left with is the grief, which is very painful, very uncomfortable to feel, and also something your body knows how to digest. And so if you can allow yourself to experience those waves, yes, they will be painful. Yes, they will be uncomfortable and awful and just so terrible some days. And really trust that the human body knows how to digest them, how to metabolize that grief so that the waves do become less frequent and less intense the more you allow them to do that. So It's not that grief healing happens with time, but with time, if you allow it to happen, healing will follow.
0: Mm, I love that. Because a lot of people um, have an adverse reaction to the time heals all wounds sort of mentality, you know? Yeah. What gets lost in that kind of blanket statement?
1: I think what gets lost is the active participation that we have to have in that. Time is not doing the healing. Our body is doing the healing. And our body can only heal if it's given the ingredients and the opportunity to do so. We can let the same amount of time go by. But if we are resisting that grief, if we are brushing it under the rug, if we are avoiding doing Um, the work, if we are staying disconnected from our bodies or whatever it may be and for whatever reason that are likely not our fault, um, it's not going to heal in that amount of time. Whereas if you were to take an active role in doing the work to support your body, support your nervous system in a way to allow for those waves to come and dissipate in the way that they will and in the way that the human body knows how to do.
0: Could medications that are used for IUIs or IVF um, that are taken for years cause any thyroid and or anxiety problems?
1: You know, I, I don't have the citations off the top of my head, but I have seen this come up anecdotally. And the understanding of that is there's something probably a little more complex that's happening. I don't know that we can draw the conclusion that it was because of this medication that the thyroid problem happened. But one explanation, which is kind of from this trauma-informed neurobiological lens, is that You know, what did those medications do to my body, specifically my nervous system, which then impacts my thyroid, which impacts my endocrine system, which impacts, you know, all these other body systems we talked about. What was that connection? That's where my head would go if if a client had asked me that and to try to trace back kind of where did we see those signs and was that possibly a pathway to explaining what's happened? Because the, the reality is those medications do stress the body. There's a lot that happens in our bodies because we're trying to do something that it's not naturally able to do at a level that it's not naturally able to sustain And, you know, that's not to say it'll happen to everybody, certainly, but with everybody's unique physiology, that could be one pathway to explain
0: that. Can a C-section delivery trauma cause physical slash chronic illness? Yes.
1: Yeah. And going back to an earlier question we talked about with, with health in general is all trauma can cause chronic illness because... We're, again, we're going back to the commonality between all trauma is a nervous system that is frozen in survival mode, and that frozenness in that emergency state is impacting all other body systems. And the way that we often see those chronic health issues come up is then tied to, you know, what are we predisposed to experiencing? What is in our family history? What are we already at risk for anyway? Um So, and then we have additionally on top of that, the nuances of the very particular trauma. So for example, the C-section trauma will often have some things that are showing up in pelvic pain, numbness around the the, incision site. Um, There could be back pain. I've seen hip pain, leg pain, you know, a lot of those things coming from that, that are tied to that very specific
0: experience too. But yeah, absolutely. It can be. Could you go in a little bit more depth, um... Around birth trauma. Sure. Yeah. Birth can be like this. I guess for me personally, when I see people having these just magically delicious births experiences with the candles and the bath and the, you know, and the dim lights, I'm like, oh my gosh, what a spa day, you know? <laughs> um and and there's a part of me that that is very jealous when i see that you know how can we like how can we nurture you know birth trauma i guess
1: yeah so just to clarify do you mean what do we do once we know we've experienced it
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah i think there's there's several pieces to that i think one is acknowledging It. I know that sounds really simple, but I find that we are very quick to minimize birth trauma, especially if there's a living child that we get to take home after that. We often tie it to, well, baby's fine. I'm fine. It's probably fine. Right? And I really want to hit home again. I know I've said this several times, but I I want to do it intentionally that trauma is a state of your nervous system. And it is a state that your nervous system goes into without conscious awareness. You didn't choose for it to happen. It happened faster than a thought can be created. And so it is completely disconnected from outcome. You can deliver on your due date right exactly at the 40-week mark to the second with all the candles in the world, with a chunky baby at the end of it who's perfectly healthy, and you can still experience birth trauma. Because it is all about, at some point for any reason, you felt unsafe and you could not find safety again for any reason. That's what trauma is. And so that's why I say we've got to acknowledge it first. Really allow yourself to go, okay, on paper, that was the perfect birth, if that's what your situation was. and. I felt traumatized by it. Very, very legitimate. Very legitimate. And and an experience that I think many, many, many people have. So I would start there for sure. And then the second piece of it is when you talk about that jealousy of seeing other people's stories and going, oh, man. How did they? Why not me? Why can't I? Why couldn't I? All of that is showing you all the places that still need to be grieved. All the losses that still need to be grieved. And so I find also that when we feel jealous, we try to shut that down very quickly, too, because, oh, my gosh, what a terrible person for feeling that way.
0: Well, there's a lot of shame associated with jealousy, too.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep. And so I would encourage anyone who's listening that whenever that jealousy comes up, use that instead of as a a shame instigator – as Instead, it's, it's a clue. Think of yourself as a detective, and it's a clue you found to go, oh, there's something about the fact that she had candles that's hitting up on a sore spot that I haven't grieved yet. What is that? Is it really about the candles? Maybe. Or is it something else? And dig a little bit. Get curious about it. Get really curious. Without judgment, just what is that about? What is that that's coming up for me that that I noticed that I still need to now nurture and kind of give some care to, and to allow myself to grieve.
0: Do you mind sharing um, any insight into post-baby side effects of infertility? Um, what happens when we bring the baby home? Where does that trauma go? How does it manifest?
1: Oh yeah, I think it's it's varied. So I'll I'll do maybe. The baby goes directly home, and then we can do the, the NICU one because it's a little bit different. So you have the baby, right? You you went through infertility, which means you had to work to get pregnant, right? Whatever that means for you. And it wasn't a given. And whether pregnancy was high risk, low risk, it doesn't matter. But now you delivered the baby and... Uh, I mean, it does matter, but I'm, for this example, I'm saying I'm skipping over that piece for now to keep it simple. And then you have baby and let's say you get to keep baby in room and you go home with baby. I find that you kind of give it, you know, two, three, about 72, 96 hours usually. And, and as you're coming down off of that that initial period postpartum is probably when you'll start to feel it. Uh, especially right now when we have so such limited resources and availability and of connection with people in our life. I think pre-pandemic, it might've happened a little bit later because we had people around us, but you probably notice it around then where again, it may be trauma, it may be grief, or it may be both, but you'll feel it in your body somewhere. And it can show up as pain. It can show up as difficulty sleeping, which is very hard to distinguish in the very first few months when you're not sleeping anyway. But you'll notice the difference, right? It's not the I'm being woken up by the baby all the time kind of tired. It's like this I can't let it go. I can't let go kind of tired. like You're holding on to something really tight, for example that kind of a feeling. Um, it can show up as migraines. It can show up as hormonal dysfunction or any kind of imbalances. It can show up as uh, difficulties with milk production. I mean, lots of different things. and can show up in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it'll show up emotionally, um, which is sometimes when it's diagnosed as postpartum depression or anxiety. But really what it is is your body going, okay, we've got stuff to deal with here. And Are we going to do that now, right? And so it's going to come up at a point when your body has the resources to actually deal with it. It won't come up before then, which I think is a really important point when we switch to the NICU track is what I see with NICU parents and I also personally experienced is it doesn't show up in the NICU and it often doesn't show up soon after the NICU, especially if you have a child who requires ongoing care because you're still in it. You are still in it. So for a lot of NICU parents... This doesn't show up until months after discharge. And for fathers especially, it's even longer than that. And again, it's going to show up in a variety of different ways in your body. And specifically for NICU parents, I see autoimmune diseases being a really, really big one. Very commonly diagnosed in NICU parents after homecoming. And they're kind of settling into their um, new life.
0: hmm mm. Wow. Wow. Um, This has just been so wonderful. I feel like every time I talk to you, I just like another layer of the onion is removed. It's just so wonderful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) So how can people find you and follow you and um, yeah, follow more of your work?
1: Yeah. So you can learn more about what I do and how I work with clients through pregnancy after late-term loss or preterm delivery on my website, which is my full name.com, com. And I also hang out on Instagram. You can find me there at healthy.highriskpregnancy. I'd love for you to come by, say hi, let me know that you're here from Millie's show and would love to know what you took away from our chat today.
0: Yes. And please, you know, if, you list, if you're if you listening to this episode, don't forget to tag me and Berjat on Instagram, take a screenshot and just post it on your stories. We would totally appreciate it. Love seeing those. Me too. Me too. All right. We will be in touch. Thank you so much. Oh, you're such a dream. Thanks, Millie. This was lovely to see you again.